Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Aspire and Inquire. Today, as always, we have another amazing guest on the show. Uh, today, we're going into the realm of real estate. Uh, really, really exciting space, especially in, in recent years. Um, I'm very, very fortunate to have on the show Vince Sheena. Vince, how are you? Hey, Ben. How you doing? Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate your time and I look forward to sharing some information with you and your listeners. Really, really excited to speak with you. Um, there's, there's a ton to talk about here and I think a, a good place to start would be to give a little bit on your background. So we went to the same alma mater. You graduated from Susquehanna University in 2012 and you then went into real estate. So you were a licensed realtor in Hoboken for, for about six years, focusing on luxury properties mostly. And then yep. over the past few years, you have delved into the world of more of the investing and property management side of things uh, in, into multifamily properties, which I'm sure you, you'll tell me much more about at, uh, at the family business, you know, property management, which is so cool. Yeah. So within the, the realm of real estate, I, I think I've been fortunate enough to, to try and to be involved with a lot of the different aspects that go into that. Um, one thing I would encourage any of the listeners is that when you do pick a specific career or interest that you want to get into, there's a lot of different avenues that lead to the same final destination. So for me, my background was that I studied finance. I always had an interest, uh, passion uh, in real estate as well. Both of my parents are involved in real estate in many different aspects and they work together with the investing company as well as property management company. So I knew that ultimately I wanted to get involved in that space, but I didn't know what I wanted to start with. So I, I was fortunate enough to spend a year with Meridian Capital Group, which is a, one of the largest commercial mortgage brokers in Manhattan and North Jersey. So I spent a year there learned the ins and outs of financing real estate, how banks decide to give loans, how owners decide to refi, uh, what are the numbers and the ratios and all the, the fun stuff that goes into that. And after about a year, I, I realized that I definitely love the space of real estate, but the finance side of it and more specifically being a mortgage broker wasn't for me. So at that time, I found myself living in Hoboken, New Jersey, as a lot of my young uh, colleagues were doing, going out, having fun, uh, bumped into a few different realtors and decided that that might be an avenue that I wanted to look into. So as you mentioned, um, I then became a licensed real estate agent and sold real estate, um, did rentals, did condos, brownstones, everything in between, and spent about six years learning that space in Hoboken, New Jersey. And then after that, when was the switch from being more of a realtor to a property owner and investor? Well, I think that one thing kind of led to the next. So what I mean by that is as I got into real estate, I was fortunate enough to jump on a team and I worked with a couple of very experienced and uh, very knowledgeable realtors and brokers who allowed me to work with them and some of their clients. And what I noticed was that not only were the people who were selling real estate making money, but the real long-term wealth building, um, the legacy, and a lot of the investment side of it was the actual, the owners, the guys who were buying and selling investment properties. They were developing condos. They were developing uh, large-scale apartment developments. So as I worked with those people and got to see what went into it, I started to get a lot more interested in how could I progress from being not just uh, a realtor and, and selling those properties, but how could I try to start buying and selling some of my own as well? So through, through that initial experience um, and just learning, spending, spending many years 
seven days a week showing property uh, at nighttime, on the weekends, uh, weekdays, just really diving deep. I decided to go to NYU for a certificate in real estate development. And what that program really did was it allowed for me to continue to work and continue to build my career and, and, and make money through your day-to-day job while attending night classes and learning the ins and outs of investing in properties as well. So that, that phase kind of took place over several years. And that's what led me into to jumping into buying a few properties. That's really cool. And so what's really interesting about your background now is you've had the opportunity to work in so many, in, in a few different areas within real estate. I think that probably makes you a better property investor and owner than someone who had just jumped in as an as solely an investor. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I agree with that statement. A lot of, uh, a lot of my friends who are looking into making different investments, I always tell them that it doesn't hurt to get your real estate license, learn just some of the ins and outs, maybe sell a few properties first, um, maybe represent yourself on a few different properties before you really dive in. It's kind of, it's kind of like every, in anything you don't, you don't just jump right in. I mean, it takes many years to develop your craft and to get better. Um, and I, my hope is that I continue to get better and more experienced every day, but that's something that people should continue to, to work on as well. Before we get into talking about like strategies for investing or, or even owning your own properties, wh- why is real estate so important to our economy? I feel like it's talked about as one of the most, I don't know, the most highly talked about macroeconomic factors. Is, is there a reason? I, th- I think, well, absolutely. And, and you're correct in the fact that it seems like every TV channel, every media outlet, Anytime any financial news is on real estate and the broader real estate market is being discussed, I I would kind of assume that part of that is that since the beginning of time, uh, shelter and what someone calls home has been one of the biggest needs to to humans in in general. Um, So that's one aspect is that basically everybody, it doesn't matter what your career is. It doesn't matter if you live in China or if you live in the United States, if you're in Miami or you're in New York City, um, you're thinking about and you're concerned about where you live. Um, are you renting? Are you owning? What's happening to the price in that area? Is it, is it going up? Is it going down? And everybody's exposed to it. So any human being that is on earth right now is indirectly or directly exposed to the real estate market. Whereas if you're a tech investor or you're working in a different space, you might consider it or you might think about how it affects you on a daily basis, but you're not actually involved in that sector every single day. Um, and that, that would be all the way from the local coffee shop who's trying to buy their first store and manage what their hard costs are all the way up to a large scale investor who's looking at the price of an apartment complex and what's going to go into that investment. So I think the first point would be every single person is exposed and is, like I said, directly or indirectly involved in the real estate market. Um, The second the second, I think, probably even and bigger factor is that if you look at somebody's uh, balance sheet or their, you know, their financial statement, everybody, you know, they're they're putting a little bit of money aside in a four hundred one k. They might have a savings account or a checking account, but I think generally, I don't, I don't have the percentage in front of me, but a uh, a general number is that the majority of Americans the largest percentage of their net worth is tied up in their home. Um, We are a nation of of homeowners. Uh, That's always been kind of tied into what 
we describe as the American dream is to own your own home. And that really plays a big factor in people's financial well-being. So I think that's another aspect that really goes into how important the real estate sector is to every individual. Those two points make so much sense. Yeah, I mean, shelter is a human need at, at its core. If you don't have shelter, you don't get safety, et cetera. And then the fact that, yeah, monetary net worth, I mean, homes are worth a ton. <laughs> no matter what, no matter what uh, area you're in, let's speak domestically, your house is going to be worth a lot more than you get paid like on a yearly salary. So you're right. That yeah, makes so yeah. much sense that that's why it's talked about so often. Everyone has there's a also, interest. I'm, I'm obviously not able to to give tax advice or any sort of investment advice. I'll, I'll preface with that. But there's also a lot of incentives, the way that the United States tax code was written, as well as some of the laws, that they do incentivize uh, property investment and more specifically home ownership. So I think that in any country, the, the laws are written in a way in which they want you to make investments and where they want you to channel your money. And for some reason, that's how our country has been set up is that a lot of money is poured into the real estate markets. Absolutely. And, and I hear all this hearsay about uh, first-time homeowners get massive advantages. You don't have to get into the in-depth specific tax advantages, but why are first-time homeowners, why are they given such an advantage? What's the incentive? What's the draw? I, th I think anytime someone's looking to buy their first property, there's just a, a, a general excitement that goes into it. It's, it's super exciting to jump into that next space, which is you're going to own your first home. And the way that, like I mentioned previously, the, the tax code is written is that our country and part of the American dream is to, to invest in property and to own your own home. So there's a lot of different mortgage um, benefits in, in terms of different write-offs. There's different incentives. Some states, and you know, things change with, with different laws and, and as time goes on, but some states actually offer incentives where they'll help with money up front. If you own the property for a certain amount of years, you get to keep some of that. Um, so there's a lot of incentives that way. And then as well as the fact that if you buy a property and you live in it, it's your primary residence, you fix it up, you paint it, you clean it, you make some nice additions. If you decide to move and sell after a few years, um, there are some, some tax incentives to that as well. And based on your marital status, you would be able to keep a portion of that money. Um, I would encourage listeners to speak with an accountant or to look into the exact laws. So I won't mention specific numbers, but if you were to buy or sell a stock and that stock goes up after you sell it, you would be paying a, a specific percentage in capital gains. But if you own your own home and you decide to sell it after living in it for a specified number of years, you actually would not pay any capital gains. The government looks at that as that was your primary residence. You get to keep that money, you move on and you buy the next property. So those things, like I said, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves with the exact exact numbers. So I would encourage people to look into that and how it might affect them. Um, but they're really exciting aspects of real estate. Very interesting. I appreciate you getting into that. And yeah, no capital gains tax on on something like that as a first time homeowner. That's a that's a pretty big draw. That's exciting. But yeah, so we'll uh, won't get into the weeds with that because we could probably talk for hours. But getting into where you started in real estate or one of the first areas that you were in, there's a ton of real estate agents out there. I you hear about tons of different companies with tons of their own agents. I know you were previously a realtor. Uh, because there are so many realtors out there that probably have similar licenses and experience, how do you differentiate yourself from an equally qualified agent? Um, that's, that's a great question. And I would say that in any 
career, not just real estate, people want to work with people who they view that they, they care about them. So the first thing as a real estate agent, if, if someone's going to be in that career and they want to get into that, um, that position would be to make sure that you genuinely care about your clients, make sure that you come across as, you know, compassionate and interested and to make sure that not only do you hear what they're saying, but that you're actually listening. And a lot of realtors and a lot of people that I've worked with in the sales industries, more specifically, they're, they're trying to push something or they're trying to sell something, thinking about how it could help them as the agent, how they could make money. But what I always considered was that if I did what was right for the client, if I was honest, if I was genuine, and I got them to the finish line, whatever their finish line was, whether it was a $3,000 rental or a $3 million townhome, whatever that finish line was, if you can get them there gracefully and smooth, they're going to remember you. They're going to refer you to their friends and family. And ultimately, they're going to use you again. So if you're going to be in any business, the longevity of it is that it's much easier to have repeat customers and happy referrals than it is to constantly be hunting for new transactions. So that was something that I was, I was blessed to, to come to that conclusion early on. And I would credit a lot of that from different books that I read, different mentors that I've had, and ultimately the, a few of the mentors that I worked with early on in real estate they had had 30-year careers, 40-year um, careers, all within one specific marketplace. So they could really draw and show how one relationship and doing the right thing 15 years ago led to five deals since then. And it wasn't like they were thinking 15 years ago that if I do the right thing, this guy's going to give me five deals. It was just the natural progression that you start off in a rental, then you move to a more expensive unit. You call up the same agent. Then after that, you get married, you decide to buy a house or, or a condo, you call up the same agent because people want to work with people they've already worked with and someone that they know is going to make sure that it's a smooth transaction. So that was something that I would, I would encourage people is to don't just look at the here and now. Think about how each relationship can blossom into something that 10 years from now, that person might save your phone number and call you back up or email you. That's fascinating. So it's not a an immediate transaction. You're like, okay, cool. I'll get, I'll get my commission on this one, uh, this one transaction. No, it's much more than that. It's It's like a lot of businesses that involve sales. It's it's a relationship creation, and that's Absolutely. where transactions happen. Trust is um, built, and that's how you can. That's really interesting. Is right. It, it's not very often where you can say, "Cool, if I create a relationship with this person or this family, couple, etc." That you are almost if they have a really, really good experience, and they're not moving to a completely different market that you could have multiple transactions with that client, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a quick, uh, a quick example of, of that would be that I had an older agent that I worked with who a lot of times if, if they were not around or if they were not available, they would allow me to work their open houses. So most people would look at it and say, well, what, it's not my listing. It's not my sale. Am I going to spend three hours on a Sunday while all my friends are watching football, am I going to spend three hours sitting in this vacant condo? So I made the decision that yes, who knows who I could meet and the experience and learn about that specific property. So I worked a bunch of open houses. Sometimes you get nobody. Sometimes you get a few people. Um, in one instance, I was working an open house for a two-bedroom condo in Hoboken. The price range was somewhere around 750000 and a young guy came in and he was interested, but he let me know that before he could buy anything, he had to sell a home. He was just kind of out checking it out. 
Some people would look at that as, okay, we'll be in touch, see what happens. I decided, okay, how can I help him? Gave him my business card. We exchanged emails. And I then went back and forth with him for a bit of time, just giving him advice and talking about the general market. And he let me know that he owned a one-bedroom condo in one of the nicer buildings in Hoboken. So I listed that home for $540,000. And after doing a couple of open houses there, this is now my listing. I'm a young agent. I have a, a nice listing. I'm doing an open house. A guy walks in, he connects with me and he says, Hey, look, I'm not from here, but I want to have an investment property and I want to have a condo in Hoboken. So we end up striking a deal. Of course, there's back and forth that, that process. I end up selling the condo to this other gentleman. And he, so I get both sides of the deal. I get both sides of the mm -hmm. commission for selling that property. And he says, Hey, I really enjoyed working with you. Will you list it for rent for me? I listed it for rent. Someone calls me. I end up getting the lead directly. I rent it. And now I get both sides of the commission for renting it. After a few months goes by, the initial uh, younger guy in his 30s who had sold the property that first connected with me maybe a year ago at an open house, he said, hey, look, I'm ready to buy something bigger. We went and then bought another property together. So I guess the, where the story is going is that one open house and one connection led to two or three sales commissions, two or three rental commissions, and I continue to stay in touch with this guy today. I've gotten referrals, and that one connection probably led to uh, $30,000 in commissions. That's incredible. What a story. And that just shows where that relationship creation can go. I mean, if you... You just showing that you cared and, you're, and, and of course we can't get into the specifics of how that interaction went, but clearly it went well because you showed you cared instead of saying, yeah, I'm just looking for this one. Uh, you could have ignored him. You could have said, yeah, he's not going to be, he's not going to buy this house. I got to just, he's not ready. Room. Yeah. He's not ready. Right. Right. You could have done that. You could have said, he's not ready. I'm going to focus on people who are more interested. And I think the other thing too, is when you're at whatever craft you're Whatever craft you're developing, I think the other important factor is that besides caring and besides being uh, genuinely interested, you have to have a value add. And what I, I guess what my value proposition was that I was constantly studying the market. I worked with older agents who had been there for 30 years. I was able to ask them questions. I didn't try to do everything on my own. That's that's definitely an important factor for somebody who's starting new is don't try to jump in there and learn everything yourself. Don't be bashful. Ask other agents questions. You'd be surprised how much advice and just free knowledge people will give you just knowing that you're getting started. So when the time comes that you get that lead, you have to be prepared. You have to have done the the work to be able to say, this is exactly what the home is worth. Here's how I can sell it for you. Here's how I'll connect you with other people. It's not just caring, it's also having a value add. So you have to be able to bring those two things together. Right, that's really interesting. In, in any business that involves people and working with clients, yeah, showing you care can be a small differentiator, but you're right, there's gotta be that that extra step, that extra 10x differential between another equally qualified agent in your case to be able to say, look, yeah. I study the market. I have learned from very experienced people. So this is why you got you to gotta go with me, which is cool. So you, and you didn't even have to say that. You could probably just show without even telling them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and I think that's a better, that's actually a better strategy because you don't have you don't have that salesy overly hungry aggressive approach people will actually come to you and want to work with you rather than you force a deal down their throat and that goes with any any sales position 100% no one everyone can set, can smell a sell coming on everyone goes Absolutely. oh i know he's trying to sell me something 
So yep. you're right. It can't be salesy. And so, so early on in your career, you did this, you were a real estate agent, more of just the, the getting deals and, and helping sell or, or helping clients buy. Then you went into real estate uh, investing and, and property management, actually going on the buying the properties yourself rather than representing another firm. Um, this is such an interesting space because everyone says like real estate is the best investment. Um, and I think for, for people who are just starting out, and I know a lot of young people, including my peers, always talk about, all right, cool. Real estate is a great investment. It's been the I think the best performing asset over the past 30 years, something like that, or, or second best after something else, but it's way up there. And so I guess the, the question from that is how does someone start? How, what can you look for as a novice to, or novice to actually buy your own home or even just look into it mm -hmm. in the first place? Yeah, my, well, I think that at the beginning of the process, I didn't actually say, okay, in six years or seven years, I'm going to start buying multifamily properties. Right. I kind of just went with it and continued to progress, continue to build skills and build knowledge within the real estate space, went and took continuing education classes, got a certificate in real estate development from NYU. These things kept kind of snowballing and building off of each other. And then I also had uh, a family background in real estate investment. My father was a home builder and he built many homes in my hometown and in South Jersey. And he over time had gotten, uh, he made the leap from being a contractor and, and building homes for people to buying some properties for himself. So I kind of saw the way that uh, my father and my mother had developed their investments and some of the, the benefits to being a property owner. So I knew that I wanted to eventually make that leap. But as any young guy in his, his mid to late 20s, I was having a ton of fun living in Hoboken, working a lot, but also going out every single night. I had a, a great group of friends. Uh very well connected in the nightlife and just all sorts of fun. So I kind of was putting things on hold and just going through the motions. And then at some point I started putting some money aside and I just realized that, you know what, I can't afford to buy anything of substance in the Hoboken market. It's one of the most expensive cities in all of New Jersey, if not the oh, Northeast. Yeah. So I decided that rather than wait and just sit on the sidelines forever, that I'd actually move back to my hometown. I would give up the the crazy fun nightlife and I would I would grind it out and say for the next couple of years, I'm gonna buy properties here. And I had the opportunity to partner up with my younger brother, uh, who's my now business partner. And we bought our first six unit investment property. And at this point, we hadn't owned anything yet. We hadn't had uh, that great of a background, but we bought it. Um, we started fixing it up. We started making renovations. We started having contractors come out that we knew locally to make improvements. And we just said, you know what? We're not going to make any money off of this first deal. We don't, not up front at least, we don't want to try to start taking money out. Let's just keep putting every dollar back into the property. So we did that and things started to improve. We were able to obviously raise the rents and improve the quality of living for all of the people who lived there. And by doing that, uh, we were able to pull some money out through a refinance process and buy an additional property in town. Um, someone had actually, and the unique thing about that was that it was not listed on the local MLS. It was not a realtor who approached us. It was actually uh, a local business person who said, hey, I see what you guys are doing with that property. I see that you're now in the game, so to speak. I'd like to sell this property. When you're ready, let me know. 
and I was able to get in that. Um, the benefit to that was there, there was no competition in buying it as long as we could come to an agreement on the value and, and the price, then we were able to, to get to that point. So from there, we've now bought several different places. We, I think we've knocked out 20, 20 units in the last two years, and we're continuing to, to go from there. Uh, all the time being, I continued to practice real estate as a salesperson. And being that I was now in my hometown, I started working full time in property management for my parents as well. So I basically was just kind of all in and decided to just immerse myself as much as possible uh, in this in this field. That's amazing. And going from one to two is probably a big jump is as you've scaled to 20 properties, obviously there's more cash flow that you, you have to deal with, which is great um, that you have to invest with was the, when you bought that first property, yes, you had the background um, in real estate from your parents. What did you, what did you learn between buying that first house and and buying that second the first property and the second property what was the yeah. biggest learning between those two steps well i well first of all i i'd like to preface with that at this point the 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 number 20 when i reference 20 units that i personally have purchased those are all in multifamily buildings so it's actually four separate properties and they range between four to six units in size um and that was done purposefully in the sense that by looking at numbers and by studying the rates of return via cap rates and uh, other like IRR and all of those more complicated terms, I noticed that, in, at least in my opinion, it was safer to buy apartment buildings and have one building with four apartments rather than buy four individual houses that had four individual sure. roofs and four individual property taxes. So that was one strategy that was very purposeful that we would get into multifamily. Um, if you do your underwriting correctly and you buy it for the right price, most of them will still at least break even if one of the units is sitting vacant. So you do have a little bit of downside protection in the sense that if something goes wrong and not all of the apartments are rented, you're still protecting your downside. And that's always very important to me as an investor. I don't try to hit home runs with every single deal. I just try to continue to hit doubles and never strike out. If I could get to 30 runs but only hit doubles every time, I'm perfectly fine with that. That is a good strategy, right? Limiting downside risk is is very helpful. But to go to go back and dive more specifically into your question, which was what did I learn? I would say that the first property you buy is going to be a learning experience. You're going to be afraid of what's going to happen. What happens the first time a toilet overflows? What happens the first time a resident can't pay the rent or, or a check bounces. And all of those things are learning experiences. They're not going to kill you. If, you. if you bought the property right and if you are prepared financially, then you'll be able to, to weather that storm. And that comes to not over leveraging and to making local contacts. So by being a realtor previously, I had contacts within that space that if I needed a plumber, I knew who to call. If I needed, as an owner, you don't have to actually know how to do every specific thing in the building. You have to know how to do some of it and you have to understand the basics so that you're not gonna get ripped off when someone gives you a price. But really what you need is, is similar to like the quarterback who's gonna go out and, and see the field. You need to know who to call at the right time and how to bring all the pieces together. So that was to me the biggest learning uh, factor was just 
how to juggle a million things at once, how to take people's phone calls and market the apartments on Zillow or Craigslist at the same time that you're collecting rent and at the same time that things are going wrong in the apartment and you're contacting someone to come fix it. So really it was a, it was a juggling and I kind of just realized that it's not a part-time, at least if you're going to succeed at anything and you want to go big, it's not a part-time thing. It's not, when I hear people say, oh, I'm going to get into real estate part-time or on the side, I'm going to buy a few places. To me, I can just tell that they haven't really tried it yet because it's a full-time, it's a full contact sport and it can be very, very rewarding um, financially as well as just a growth experience. But you have to be willing to take a call at any time to fix any problem that could come along with home ownership and times that by the number of units that you have. And that's how many sinks could possibly get clogged. That's how many toilets could possibly overflow. But ultimately, you're being paid to solve other people's problems. So when someone calls you and they're freaking out that they can't unclog something or they can't figure out why the heat's not working. If you can fix that for them, they'll continue to stay with you at that property and their life will be a lot, you know, will be a lot smoother. And that's the value that you're providing somebody. Uh, There was a lot to cover there and I don't think we can cover it all, but the multifamily strategy is very interesting. Limiting downside risk makes sense because if there's an issue in one unit, you have other units units to help you financially. Um, and then I think the other thing to point out is real estate really is a relationship-driven business. Whether you are, and then you could say that about sales. Obviously, anything in, in that involves clients and sales, it's relationship-driven because if you have clients that you're trying to sell to, either they're buying or selling mm-hmm. a property, if you're a property owner, you have to be able to know who to call to solve the issue that you can't yourself. So yeah, it's always about building trust trust and relationships with others. And a lot of it too comes back to once you've built that trust, if you continue to do it over and over and you continue to do the right thing over and over, that's how a reputation is built. And it takes time to build a reputation. It's a lot easier to ruin it. You can ruin it a lot quicker than you could build it. But once you've built the right reputation, people will start to come to you. So now that we've now that we've become more well-known within our local town, we're continuing to buy properties here, we actually have people who will call us up and say, hey, my niece is looking for an apartment. I'd love for her to be in one of your buildings. I know you guys are on top of it. You do the right thing. Um, what do you have coming available? So we went from having to try to find people to occupy buildings to now having waiting lists in some in some cases. And that's just based on the fact that we look at it as, as it's our responsibility and it's a very responsibility to have. It's a, it's a large responsibility to have people living and calling home what you own and your property. So there's a big difference between, you know, someone who who's like a slumlord and just buys a place and just says, Oh, I'll buy it to own it and hang on to it. than someone who actually takes an interest and has, uh, like I said, a genuine interest in making that property beautiful. And, And we, that's really a passion of ours is to make sure that every property is beautiful and is, is a value proposition to anybody who wants to live there. And then as as you become a property owner, in my limited conversations with people in real estate or who own their own properties, one way to make this a, a sort of passive income stream, uh, so to speak, is to hire a property manager to manage the building. It seems as if you haven't, you're not at the spot where you can do that or maybe not even want to, but if you were going to hire a property manager, if you haven't already, uh, how would you go about doing this? Because I've heard this is the most difficult transition to make. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's also a great a great question. Um, 
I would say that for, for our business now, we, we own and operate and also manage all of our properties. And that decision is just based on the fact that we feel like we can provide a better service than what we could hire for the price that it would require. And that as we grow, we continue to be full-time in the endeavor of looking for new properties. So for us, our business model is to manage all of our properties. I have a property management company as well as the owners of properties. And we are continuing to try to grow that business. But for someone who's looking for more passive income, I would say that you want to go through all the processes that we first discussed, which is learning the market, connecting with the right people, making sure you're working with the right real estate brokers and, and people who are local to that area. And then once you've actually purchased something, if it becomes too much work for you, um, you could then look into hiring a property manager. And what that person is going to do is they're now going to field the phone calls from the, the tenants or the residents. They're going to make the connections to the plumbers and the electricians and the contractors and all that stuff. But that price could be anywhere between 5% to 10% of the total rent roll. So I always tell people that although you could make it 100% passive, it will, it will cost you like anything. So if you have a full-time career, and I do, I do have friends. I, I have a friend who uh, is, a, is a very successful attorney in Manhattan, and he's decided to buy some single-family homes, uh, and he's buying them in South Carolina. He connected with a local realtor in that area. He had some friends in an area that he believes is a high-growth area, and ultimately he can buy homes there for significantly cheaper than you could in Manhattan. So I believe he's up to four homes now. He, he's in his early 30s and his full-time career, like I said, is he's with a, a large law firm in Manhattan and his passive income is through investing in real estate. So he went through a realtor, he found those homes, and then he actually asked the realtor, who do you know locally that is a good property manager? And he just used relationships that he already had to connect him with another relationship, which is now his property manager. And then, like I said, in the last year or two, he's now already bought four single family homes. And I believe he's going to continue to go from there. And using him as an example, uh, he's full-time attorney and he has, and he is doing real estate on the side and he's investing in properties, uh, buying and owning them. Yep. And that's, yeah. And that's, and some people do that. I mean, there's doctors, there's attorneys, there's, and any career specifically, more specifically, any career you could buy real estate, um, you just have to decide how much of that transaction you want to handle. And some people handle all of it. Some people handle very little of it. But you just have to make sure that if you're going to go the route of hiring out, in this world that we live in, you could hire, I could hire someone to drive me to and from work via Uber. You could hire someone to get your groceries. You could hire someone to do your online shopping. So that's the same with real estate. You can hire somebody to do just about anything, but you want to make sure that that's built into the numbers. And if you're buying a home or a multifamily property that you think is, let's just throw out a number, 8% a year annualized return. Um, if you think that that's what you're going for, and then you're going to start paying everybody on top of that, it could very quickly eat into those returns. So that's just something to keep in mind for a first-time investor. So some people will try to handle it themselves and see how it goes so that they can keep more of the net income and more of the return. Transitioning to a more broad general question, um, way outside the real estate realm itself, uh, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have either in life or career? Uh, that, yeah, that's a great one too. You've got a lot of great questions tonight. Um, I would say the biggest misconception that most people have 
is that something, anything that they really desire is going to come quick and it's going to come easy. And I think anything that somebody wants that's truly valuable is not going to be easy and it's not going to be quick. If you work at it and you continue to work at it, it might eventually get easy, but it's not like anybody that I know that has worked in any industry, the truly successful, truly satisfied individuals are those who spent a lot of time developing their craft and all the little hiccups in between. They didn't look at those as failures. They looked at it as a bump in the road or as a learning experience. And then from there, they had that experience in their tool chest to build with and, and to work with in the future. So I would encourage people to, once you've identified what it is that you want to get into, whether it's a passion or, or a career field, make sure that you realize it's going to take time. And as you're going, connect with the right people who are where you want to be. So you need to find someone who is willing to share some of their knowledge with you. And maybe you're just helping them for free. Maybe you're an intern. Maybe you're brand new at your job and you're just sitting there and helping the guy get some of the dirty work done. Either way, it's a lot easier to learn from the experts than it is to just kind of make it up on your own. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to find somebody who, as a mentor, who is where you want to be, emulate some of the successful traits that you see in that person, and then put your flavor on it, put your spin on it. Obviously, nobody is going to be the exact replica of somebody else, but learn from some of those traits that have made that person successful and continue to push. And after a few years, you'll be surprised how much ground you've covered. That is awesome. Uh, you covered a bunch there. And it's so true. Nothing, nothing truly valuable or and no real success comes easy in, in any industry, in any career path. Uh, you got to work. And not many people are willing to put in what it truly means to put in the work to become to the level of success that they aspire to. There's, there's that, okay, if I want to get to this spot in life, I'm going to have to put this amount of effort. And most people aren't willing to do that. Yeah. And I think, I think if I could add one thing is that I've noticed that for, for a lot of people, they're willing to take out hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans, we'll say student loans to go to school to be taught and they think that 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 value proposition is that okay I'll pay for all of this knowledge and when I come out of school I'll have the knowledge and I'll have the skills uh, that's that's great you should do that but there's nothing wrong with also jumping on somebody's team being an intern working for free or working for less you might think that you're not getting a lot out of it financially in the immediate future. But in the long run, if you're learning something every single day by being around that expert, by being around that person who really knows that industry, that in itself and that hands-on experience is priceless. Absolutely. For sure. Couldn't agree more. What better way to learn how to do something than being, having someone as a mentor who's done it for you know 30 plus years that knows all the small hiccups. I mean, they're really, any opportunity you can get to get in front of someone and learn directly from someone like that, it's invaluable. Yep, absolutely. You've, you've also given a ton of different nuggets of advice to prospective real estate investors, realtors, uh, property owners, property managers, uh, is there any last piece of advice that you'd like to give uh, to anyone who wants to break into real estate in general? I, I would say anyone who wants to break into real estate, I would say think about what is the why, why you want to get involved, why you want to have 
a career in real estate. Um, maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's something else. Once you have that, just remember, go back to that. When things get difficult, go back to what was the why and what ultimately are you trying to get to? Because if you're trying to get to have, let's just say 200 apartments one day, which I would, I would, I have certain goals like that as well to get to several hundred apartments. I don't think that that's going to come overnight. And I know that I'm going to have a lot of little hurdles to get there. But if you actually picture yourself 30 years out at that final destination, all these little things in between are just noise and it's totally worth it. So I would encourage people to get involved. It's, um, it's a really rewarding career. Uh, it's very exciting. You are working for yourself as well as other people. It's very hands-on. You're not stuck sitting in an office uh, 24-7. But you also have to be self-motivated and you have to be able to go out there and, and put in the work to develop into someone who has a lot of skills and value to provide to your clients or to start investing and make money for yourself. So look up a few different books. Um, I continue to listen to uh, three, four, five different podcasts a week. I continue to listen to audiobooks. If I'm doing a mindless job like painting or meeting someone and working on a roof or I'm in the car for a couple of hours. I set that time aside to listen to audiobooks and podcasts and just try to get more information about real estate, about investing, about financials. And ultimately, all of that information will snowball and you'll eventually be a resource to others who want to get into that. That's amazing. That's a that's a great way to in this conversation, presenting real estate in, in a different lens, I'd say. Um, that's awesome. And if anyone wanted to reach out to you, connect with you, et cetera, where would the best place be to do so? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, I would be happy for anyone to connect. If you have a question about real estate, whether you want to get started investing or whether you want to become a realtor, and you want my advice on who you should connect with in terms of a broker to work with or one of the first steps, I'd be really excited to speak with people. So the first way is you could connect with me on Instagram. And my Instagram is just at Vincent Schino, which is V-I-N-C-E-N-T-S-C-H-I-N-O. Or if it's uh, something that you prefer an email, you could just email me at vince.skino at gmail.com. Awesome. That's great. Vince, thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with thank me. You, this man. was an amazing conversation. Appreciate it. Look forward to uh, catching up soon. Absolutely. All right. You have a great rest of your night. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to another episode. And make sure to share this with your friends. If you haven't done it yet, give us a follow on Spotify and Instagram at aspire underscore inquire to take on this journey with us. That being said, stay tuned to next Thursday because you will not be disappointed. Peace.